Welcome to the Live in Everett podcast, where we explore good things in Everett, Washington. My name is Garrett Hunt. And I'm Tyler Chisholm. Welcome to the Live in Everett podcast, episode number 44, which is brought to you with support from People's Bank, a locally owned and operated independent community bank since 1921. For a higher level of service for all of your banking needs, visit the team at their flagship branch right here in downtown Everett at 2702 Colby. So Tyler, how you doing? Um, doing pretty good. Um, let's see what's new. Uh, the farms and market, indoor farmers market is about to open up and uh, we got a tour, kind of an inside peek last Friday and got to eat some good food and drink a bunch of free alcohol and I'm really excited about that place. You were there. What do you think? It was really cool. It felt surreal. Like it's actually Honestly, happening? Yeah, because I, I went to like a grand opening tour, like, I don't know, it was like a fundraising event. They partnered with Housing Hope on, I want to say it was probably at least two years ago. Yeah. You know, and it was like this hard hat tour. It was just a cement room still, but it was like, oh, this is opening soon, right? And then, of course, um, the hurdles ensued that happened with that whole project. And so now that it's actually opening in here and it's like wow like you know and we're sitting around just kind of talking about the other things that are happening uh, around town and it's uh yeah stuff's happening it's cool what do you think of the food it was delicious yeah it was kind of like my favorite kind of food like wine cured meats and cheeses you know like i feel like i wish there was more of that kind of stuff in in downtown everett like i feel like you can get that at lombardi's but to be able to get it and it was like cheap it was like 10 bucks for like a huge meat and cheese platter i feel like i'll be there every day now yeah yeah i'm definitely excited to explore it further yeah anyway what's up with you um you know just living the dream (laughs) (laughs) we uh had lunch at katia's bakery today we'll have a new video coming out on that in a few days and uh yeah that was fun and delicious so yeah life is good yep and uh let's see the longmire author you're excited about that Oh yeah. This, this, this Saturday, uh, you know, Longmire is a quality TV show on Netflix. I don't know if, I know Henry hasn't seen it cause I was asking him if he wanted to go, but the, I didn't even realize it was a book. You know, a lot of things start as a book, right? Yeah, yeah. So the author is going to be, uh, speaking at the performing arts center. I think it's a part of the Everett public libraries, like Everett reads thing. They bring out, um, an author, it seems like once or twice a year. And I, I always enjoy hearing authors speak, even if I haven't read the book, I always think it's interesting to hear you know kind of the backstory and whatnot i did love the show longmire if anyone's never if you're curious it's a show on netflix about a sheriff in rural wyoming but i feel like so many stories right now you're always rooting for the bad guy and i feel like longmire was a good story where you're always rooting for the good guy who is pretty bad a you know and uh so i'm excited to catch that author so anyway if you're not familiar with Live in Everett, in addition to this weekly podcast, we also do weekly videos, send a jam-packed weekly newsletter, maintain an active blog, an events calendar, and more. You can learn more about what we do at liveineverett.com. So this week on the show, we have daily Everett Herald reporter Ricky King with us. Uh, Ricky has been with the Herald since 2010, and she covered police and public safety in Everett and Snohomish County for seven years, and now she writes a variety of stories for the Herald. And we are happy to have her on the show today. Yeah, but before we jump in, a quick message uh, from McLean Insurance, one of our sponsors. February 28th is the anniversary of the big Nisqually earthquake. McLean Insurance specializes in earthquake insurance. You should contact them for a free free, free quote. Free free quote. (laughs) 
free quote and learn. Uh, you can learn more about uh, what they do at autohomeboat.com. You can also check out a video that we just did uh, where we looked at uh, an emergency go bag. Uh, it, it's pretty funny. You can watch the video on our website or on our Facebook. Also, McLean is who I buy my earthquake insurance through, and it's totally reasonable. You should get it. I feel like that video was kind of your acting debut. <laughs> you you, you kind of killed it. You, you and uh, Nick, your insurance agent, both did a great job. I feel like the first time we ever did a video, can you remember how... I mean, I was like really afraid of cameras. Oh, yeah. You've gotten like so much better. Like a legitimate better. phobia of cameras. And in this podcast, too, I feel like seeing the videos and then hearing myself on this podcast has really helped me like understand what I look and sound like. I know that it sounds weird, but feel like it was something I was really uncomfortable with at first, but yeah, it's always, it's always weird hearing your own, own voice and seeing yourself on camera. Yeah. What, what, what about seeing your own words printed in the newspaper? Um, I think I still get excited about it. Seeing my name in print. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta say, I'm excited to have a Herald writer on the podcast because somebody who grew up in Snohomish County, my family always got the Herald. The Herald was my first job. And uh, I worked in circulation back then, but I still think of Herald writers kind of as celebrities because growing up reading the Herald, I was always like dreamed of, you know, meeting a Herald writer, being a Herald writer or being in the Herald, you know? Right. Yeah. If anyone, you know, at school or something gets their picture in the Herald, it's like, oh, you're on the newspaper. You know, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's cool. So yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So how, what's the story? How'd you come to uh, work in Everett? Um, so I had interned here in 2008 for the editorial page and I graduated from Wazoo in 2010 and the opening was available for a police and public safety reporter. So I rented a room in a bro house um, near Silver Lake. A, a what house? A bro house. A bro house? <laughs> yeah. What's a bro house? Uh, like I was the only like woman living there. Oh, yeah. How, how many bros were at the bro house? Two to three, depending on the time. Okay. You're, you're brave. <laughs> Good for you. And did you know any of the bros before you moved in with them? My friend's brother was a roommate, kind of. So your friend's roommate was a bro who was kind of a partial, he was a partial bro in the bro house. Sort of, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And so you said you started out covering crime and? Police and public safety. So a lot of, a lot of police, fire departments. And I did that for about a little over seven years. Gotcha. And then now you're doing more like general news? So since August, I've been covering Everett, which means City Hall, but also community, faith, nonprofits. Um, It's a pretty wide lens. So it's something a little different. Wow. So many questions um, that I'm looking forward to asking you uh, during this interview. But I'm curious about uh, why journalism is a career. So in high school, I really liked to write, and I didn't know how to make that a viable career. And so I, on a whim majored in journalism and then I actually fell way more in love with the reporting piece of it and the you're curious you got to scratch your itch and you find information and then you get to share it with people and um, I definitely now think of myself much more as a reporter than a writer was there ever a specific moment when you were like okay yeah I want to become a journalist or was it more of a slow progression um, I think there, that's happened in drips over the years. I know one moment that I thought of was being in high school and having a principal who had an agenda and like 
you know, I was a nerd and I was arguing with the principal about what we had the right to publish and what we didn't. And it kind of instilled in me the sense of right and wrong and maybe I get to weigh in. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Um, So what is it like? Uh, So really general question. We're not professional interviewers like you, by the way. (laughs) But I just, it's a super general question. What is it like to work at the Herald? So every day is different and every day I make a real careful plan for the next day and then I might come in and it might get thrown out. So like Monday I was covering floods, this morning I went to a school, yesterday I was at a church. Um, So it's something a little different every day and there's a lot of room um, to tell people's stories and really find important human moments in our lives. But also a big part of what we do is being watchdogs of government and our role in democracy of making sure the people in power are making the right choices and also questioning the narratives at times. So did you say on Mondays you'll know for the week what you're doing, but then it'll possibly change? No, that was just this Monday. Or, oh, just this Monday. That was Monday. like, surprise, you're going to cover floods. Gotcha. <laughs> so is it just, is it pretty much like every day you go in and like pretty much on a daily basis, you just find out what you're going to go cover that day? Yeah, I imagine if you're reporting the news, news has to happen, right? You know, something happens and then you have to go cover it. Well, I'm a big planner, so I always have things scheduled and planned, but it's just knowing that those plans might go out the window. Yeah. Yeah, and then so the Herald used to be downtown here on West Marine View Drive, kind of by where the co-op is, but you got, you're now on 41st? We're in what some people call the GET, GEP, sorry. GT. We're, we're in what some people call the GTE building and some people call Frontier, Everett Clinics there too. So we're only about a mile from downtown. Okay. And then do, how many like writers do you work with on a day? Is it like, is the news, like my perception of a newsroom is like how I see it on television. So when I ask like, what is it like working in the Herald? Is it like it is on the way that like newsrooms are on TV? Well, there is some yelling. Um, our department... <laughs> yelling is real. <laughs> our department, like, because there's sports, there's opinion, there's features. And so I'm in local news. And I think we've got about 10 people, including editors there. Um, but what is nice is that, you know, most people that get into this profession are type A personalities. They're curious. They're hard workers. And it's also a place where you can quote Dickens and everyone will be right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. So, all right. So I've got questions about covering crime in Everett. Um, Just broadly, how have you seen crime in Everett change since you've been reporting on it? So since I started, the heroin and opioids issue has really become a lot more in the forefront. Um, I've also, I also know that as reporters, our thinking is changing. I know the way that I cover mental health now is probably a lot different than I covered mental health seven years ago. Can you give me an example of that? Um, for example, like for a long time, you know, there'll be stories about like, oh, this, can you believe this crook did this thing and how Mm. silly. But then when you understand more the way that mental health like factors into the system and affects people's choices, some of those stories you really dial back on. Do you feel like more people are starting to understand that and leaning more towards compassion and understanding, or do you still feel like it's Uh, look, that crook did this bad thing. I think as a society, we're moving closer to understanding like that root causes have just as much to do with it as like the crisis of the day. But I know we were, I was involved in writing a lot of the stories about the jail and I still run into people in the community who think all of our problems can be solved with jail. Hmm. And as someone who covered, you know, that series of deaths, I know that that isn't the answer. What is your perception of 
Everett, is it a, in your opinion a safe community? I think Everett is just like every other place. And so sometimes you hear people say like, oh, the crime in Everett. But as a crime reporter covering a whole county, paying attention to all of Western Washington, every single city has issues with homelessness, has issues with property crimes. And sometimes I think the perceptions can be a little off from reality. Like, yeah, you need to lock your car and not leave your bike on your porch, but it's not. What do you, do you have opinions on what the city, I think just a black and white question, do you feel like the Safe Streets Initiative has been, um, has had a positive impact on the city in dealing with crime specific, uh, like street level crime and street level issues? So as a reporter, I wouldn't um, comment on that, but I do think I can say just from talking to different people, I do think it's affected the narrative and maybe some people are thinking differently, but it's also been the source of tension for others. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens from here. Is it hard not to get depressed when you're covering crime? That was a little bit of why I changed beats as I, um, you know, I worked a lot with grieving families. I spent a lot of time in living rooms and I think I was ready to take a break from that in part because when you are working with people like that, you want to, I always want to give them the very best self that I can give them. And if you are in a point where you can do that, you don't want to do them a disservice. Hmm. Yeah. Something I've been so looking forward to talking to you about is the Herald's comment section, uh, on Facebook and on the website. And like, you know, we're like nowhere near the size of the Herald. Right. But I do feel like our audience is like pretty positive but I read through the Herald's comment section on, on Facebook and on the website. And I think, how are these writers not just like punching these people in the face or like getting on there and being like, well, John, you know what, you know, and then getting in arguments with them. And, and there's so many trolls and I just want to know how you, the Herald internally, as much as you can share, how do you talk about that? And what does that look like internally with you all? So keep in mind, too, that, you know, decisions about comments and management happen way above my head. Um, I do see them. I do try to keep an eye on the Facebook comments. You hope that there will be a good conversation, and a lot of times there's not. And so speaking for me and not for the paper, I mean, I put my name next to everything I write, and I think when when someone has their name there, it affects what they can say. And I take a lot more seriously comments that have someone's name than those that don't. You mean like comments that are um, sliding the author or the journalist? No, just in general, but comments, you know, where it's a pseudonym. Yeah, if people are using a, a fake name. Oh, to post the okay, okay, sorry. Or just I not their, their real name. Okay, gotcha. Makes sense. Um, why do you think, like, why do you think people are like that? Why? I mean, I, I try to, like, think about it. It's like, who gets on there? and just trolls or how do some people just why are they so mean you know <laughs> like, i think sometimes <laughs> it's if, if someone feels vulnerable or they don't feel power or they they need to put somebody else down i see a lot of that what also drives me crazy on the herald's facebook is people complaining about our paywall oh gotcha yeah i mean we're providing a service it costs money i need health insurance i need dinner so yeah, 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 people, yeah, yeah, people persistently want to say that it should be provided for free. 
Yeah. So when I worked at the Herald, it was 12 years ago, I worked in circulation, but it was, you know, the Herald had a website and it was always this conversation around, well, eventually people are going to have to pay for the content on the website. And my job back then was managing newspaper carriers, the independent contractors that delivered the newspaper, um, and not managing them, but more managing the distribution center that, so they could go out and deliver the papers. But this was obviously the thing, well, that website's going to put us out of a job, you know, yada, yada. And, and it is interesting that it was free for so long and people have to pay for it now, but I agree with you wholeheartedly. I will happily pay for a online Herald subscription. Well, I think, you know, with the digital era, I think newspapers kind of messed up and that we did provide it for free for so long, but you know, you don't go to your mechanic and expect them to fix your car for free, but the future is digital. And I think as we, as media kind of figure out what that looks like, it'll probably, the payment structure will probably be a piece of that. And do you, is, is print really dying? Like everyone says, it's hard to say, and it varies product to product and I don't have numbers to share with you, but, um, part of the struggle here is that the digital advertising doesn't bring in the same revenue that print advertising does. And so a lot of our resources still go into the print product, but being a millennial, I know me and many people in my generation, the digital is, and we're consuming news. We are consuming media. We're informed, but we're getting it in a different platform. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of hardcore readers that would, you know, throw cars over if we took away their print product. Well, my dad would be one of them. My dad faithfully walks out onto his porch in his underwear every morning, gets the Herald, brings it back to bed, makes a Keurig. He's got a Keurig brewer on his nightstand and reads the Herald. He and brings his newspaper back to back bed. To, I mean, he's retired. He's like living the dream, I guess, you know, but he literally <laughs> he has a Keurig awesome. maker on his nightstand and goes out, walks out, gets the Herald and every single day. And if he doesn't, his whole day's messed up. So... In 2014, there was the catastrophic mudslide in Oso um, that you covered. What was that like covering that? So I covered it extensively from that day, waking up, seeing on Twitter that the state patrol had said a highway was closed, um, knowing the history of that location, went into the office. Um, I listened to the scanners that first night when they had to call off the search. And then I, to this day, I'm still covering and I was um, the we were the only media outlet invited to the family's third year memorial event um, in 2017, and then in September I covered when the the tree came down that had been a symbol of resilience. So, um, yeah. Hmm. Henry's got a question for us. Thanks. I was almost going to give myself a mic. I really should. So, Ricky, this is really weird because uh, you came and spoke when I was in community college trying to be. A journalist and we kind of worked together for a little bit but you worked in the day and I worked at night as a sports clerk so this is like really strange to like interview you in air quotes worlds collide I know right so um like talking about like the the Oso mudslide and you mentioned before like you know talking to grieving families when you were when you were covering um uh crime and things like that like what I guess what do you do to kind of keep yourself in check like they're not to like bring bring that home with you that was the one thing that kind of freaked me out about about reporting in general and that's one of the reasons why i wanted to be a sports reporter is because you don't really you don't bring that home you don't bring those you know um i don't know just just that weight home with you when you're covering 
big subjects, tragic subjects. So I guess that's my question to you is how, how do you go about doing that? And that's something that I think about a lot and we talk about a lot and there is literature about journalism and trauma and we do see a lot of secondary trauma. Um, so for me, what I always tried to do was not take all of it home because I think you would drown, but I try, if you don't take any of it home, then you just get desensitized and you lose touch with, you know, the pain and, you know, anguish that happens in our lives. But what really drives me is, you know, when you're sitting in a living room with a mom and she's flipping through the photo album and this is no matter what happened in that person's life, this is her baby. This is someone who was loved. And, you know, that person deserves to have their story shared too beyond just a police report or an obituary. And so it can be really rewarding working with working in those situations, but it also can be really challenging. And then when when I was working at the Herald, I remember the it was when was it? it was October when MP got shot up hmm. and I came into the office and. I think I think it was Robert Frank at the time was the city editor and he was like we haven't left here since you know like we've been working for like over 12 hours and there's just like pizza boxes everywhere and like everybody just looked like you know zombified um I guess kind of what what keeps you I I don't think people really hear that side of the news like they just see oh an article comes out but like you know when a disaster happens you know especially in a smaller community like Snohomish County um what I guess like what what drives you I guess or maybe like speak a little bit more on on like those those big events when they happen I guess to kind of like paint a picture of like what it's actually like to be a journalist I don't think people really understand like the amount of time and energy and how much it really saps from you I guess and we we talk about it a lot among ourselves and not so much in public in part because the worst thing you can do is make the story about yourself. And so a lot of times that kind of gets shoved aside or, you know, you talk to your loved ones about it. But I remember the day of MP, you know, I was working that story and I remember thinking like, this is what, how journalists can help their community to help them understand what's happening. And what's really difficult with those big, huge stories, including the mass shooting in Mukilteo is that there's information's fluid and false narratives get launched and national media come in and they have a different mission and next thing you know people say oh the story is this and it's our job to come back and say no like read the documents you know talk to the people who are in the room like this is what happened here's what we know about why and we take heat for that i know i've written quite a bit about domestic violence in teenagers which was a factor in mp and i've had people in positions of power say, oh, you're re-traumatizing students by bringing this back up. And my thinking is, if we don't understand these behavior patterns and help our young people understand them, I don't, I mean, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. I, I, I would agree with that. I feel like it's important to report on it and give a, like a real sense of it and a face of it, a, put a, maybe a face to it uh, figuratively, right? Uh, but so you can really understand the weight of certain things. And I do feel like this has been really helpful to help kind of solidify the importance of localness, you know, and like local media. You had said something interesting earlier when you were saying that national media has a different agenda. You didn't say agenda, but when you were talking about Michael Teo, you were saying that narratives are fluid and then national media comes in and they have a different 
you know, so what is like, I guess my question is like, what's the difference between like, in your opinion, local media and national media and like their role in society? Well, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm working in Everett every day. I'm here talking to people every day. I know people, I know the community that's different from someone who's coming on and is going to make a 30 spot, you know, a 30 second spot for television and then leave in two weeks. And so, you know, at Oso, for example, my first time that they let me into the slide, you know, I walk in with the sheriff and the first two cops that I see in firefighter are all people that I know, people I've written stories about, people I've met. And that makes it different when you know you're going to have to call them in six months and the relationship that you have. The perfect example is if, you know, I have to write about when public officials get DUIs, I have to call them six months later and say, hey, I saw you're passing this resolution at council. And so if you burn people or if you don't act, you know, honorably, they remember and they never talk to you again. Wow, that's really interesting. But you always have to be principled. You always have to be honest and you can't play the political game. You know, yeah, that's that's an interesting position to be in. Um, lightening things up a little bit, I'm, I want to know, like, I want to know if there's any sort of, like, wacky, crazy stories or what are some of the, like, on the, like, lighter, wackier side of being a reporter um, in Everett? What are some things that you run into? Well, it's humanity in all of its glory. And so, you know, there's <laughs> lots of gross stuff and there's lots of fun stuff and weird stuff. And some of my favorite stories are what I call the huh stories, which when <laughs> someone tells you, you say, huh? And so, um, you know, one story that was weird that came up was somebody stole a, a truck from the city of Marysville that had a bunch of flower pot, fl- uh, had a bunch of flower pots in it. And then when the cops got a suspect, they went to his mom's house. And when they got there, the flower pots were lining the driveway. Nice. And the detective who investigated that, you know, ended up being, I wrote about that story. And then that detective ended up being like one of the primary rescuers in the Oso mudslide response. So we're a community. It all connects. When I was 16 in high school, maybe I was 15. Are you going to tell that story? Yeah. Yeah. Henry knows the story because Henry and I hung out in high school, but we made the paper. For a crime, actually. I didn't do that. I wasn't yeah, Henry wasn't part of it, but me and this uh, kid, Jack Hubler, and Andrew Broadland and some other guys, uh, we stole a big inflatable dinosaur out in front of like the Chevy dealership that's right off the freeway by 4th Street. What is it? Is it Roy Robinson? or Yeah, Roy Robinson. So we stole this big inflatable dinosaur. We just like went there and unplugged it and then came back 30 minutes later, threw it in the back of a truck. We were like high school boys, you know, like nothing to do. And then the next day, I'm at lunch, and Jack Hubler comes up with the Herald. And the headline is, Marysville's <laughs> missing a monster. And we're like, no way. I can't believe we made the Herald. Here's this thing. We're kids. We're like, we made the Herald. I can't believe this. So we're like showing everybody at lunch. We're like showing girls, you know? And then we're like, let's go to, we, it was in my garage. Let's go to Tyler's house. Let's inflate it. So like, we, all these kids like leave school, and we go inflate it in my backyard. 20 minutes later, cops show up. It's so, so stupid, you know. Uh, the dealership didn't press charges. They were really cool about it. It was like a total prank, you know. But that's like, you know, that's that's my Herald crime story. <laughs> so did the dinosaur make it home safely then? Yep, the so dinosaur. happy ending. The dinosaur made it home safely. And, yeah, it was like the cops were, like, pretty funny about it, too. They were, like, messing with me, like, think you're going to go away for a long time, kid, you know? And it was like, I realized I was young and everyone was messing with me. And, 
but yeah, that's my that's the time that I committed a crime and ended up in the Herald. <laughs> so you didn't report on that, did you? Probably not. <laughs> so Ricky, do you have any advice for aspiring writers or journalists? For writers, I always just say to read a lot and to know you have to keep getting better. I think sometimes that happens to a lot of people that every word in my sentence is beautiful and to succeed at a paper, your sentences will get ripped apart all the time. So I'm always trying to get better. I'm always trying to read different authors and see what they do. And also um, for writing, a lot of times it's finding your voice and also knowing how to get rid of extra words too Mm. and dependent clauses and you know when I when I was training young reporters in my college paper what we always drilled into their head was like subject verb object and you have to master that before you can get too flowery but for journalists I think it's harder and harder to get into the business because there's fewer and fewer jobs and what really matters is getting those internships and getting experience and working at your school papers Hmm. too why are there fewer and fewer jobs in journalism because the of how the media industry is and there's just there's layoffs and fewer positions and just, it's harder to turn a profit yeah just the way things are trending with more things going online probably and stuff like that probably a lot more people wanting to be journalists too i feel like you know i don't know I, I, what do i know but i feel like it's probably a pretty competitive field um to be in uh what's a dependent clause <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, I do feel like, okay, so I took like English 102 and all of that stuff, you know, and some other writing classes in college and, um, you know, but like Liv and Everett, we put out a lot of stuff. So two questions for you. Um, one, what's a dependent clause? And then two, Oxford comma or no Oxford comma? So a dependent clause, hopefully I get this right, is basically it, a thing that's in your sentence that's adding information, but if you cut it, you still have a complete sentence. So, like, she walked the dog who was a brown dog. Like, that would be a dependent clause. Gotcha. That's also a horrible sentence. (laughs) And then the other question was? Oxford comma, is it a thing or not? I don't use it, but that's because that's, you know, associated press style. I'm not going to, you know, arm wrestle with people who are fans of it. Sometimes I'll use it if it helps clarity for the reader, if it's a long, complicated list. But generally not. Hold on, I had one more question I wanted to ask Ricky. Okay. Actually, it's one of Henry's questions. Uh, what's the lamest story you've ever had to write? There have been a million. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes um, I'll try to think of a good one for you. And are, is it just at the Herald or in, in general? In general. So when I, I was very grateful for my internship at Wenatchee. It was a lot of good experiences. Um, I wrote a lot of field trip and retirement stories, like going on field trips with kids, which is fine. Um, I've also, you know... Sometimes it's like going outside the school and waiting to ask kids like what they think about something doesn't always feel like the most productive thing I'm trying to think of. There have been some real stinkers, I'm sure. Or if you go back and read my clips from when I started. <laughs> um, okay. okay, sorry. I'm not ready to get never questions yet. Cause I, I, like I said, there's so many questions that I want to ask you. Um, has there ever been a time where you've been reporting um, as like a... And just been like, oh my gosh, I just cracked something open. This is going to blow people's minds. I think we want to think that way. And sometimes the hardest thing is helping other people to see that because a lot of what we cover is wonky and and processy. But there are times when I see something, especially if it's a wrong and 
I think how can we how can we document this in a way to show people like what is wrong with our system and what we can do to fix it and then having an opinion on what's wrong with our system is that is that subjective or objective well i mean more like if i'm reading if i'm reading records and this the mp would be a perfect example of that and that's not just me but there was a narrative that was launched about helicopters getting turned away and Mm -hmm. i had police and firefighters who were at the school that day who told me I was there. There were no helicopters. And we ended up getting records and writing a story that that proved that. And that, you know, basically didn't let others define for our community who we were and what our truth was. Something like that. Because, hmm. I mean, a lie is bad. A lie is <laughs> bad. Most yeah, of the yeah, time, yeah. A lie is bad. Especially when it's, you know, politically or financially motivated. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Um Okay, one last question for me. Um, what are some journalistic outlets, whether it be a podcast or a magazine or a newspaper that you really admire? So I, I subscribe digitally to the New York Times. I try to look at it every morning just to be an informed citizen, even if I just read the headlines. And um, I try to use my Twitter feed to curate a lot of different media sources, including media sources, you know, from people of color or that speak to different audiences just to try to have more information coming my way. So there's I'm trying to think of some good ones I follow on. It might take me a minute to think. But I think magazines and bloggers and, you know, sometimes websites that aren't an established media, but that are trustworthy. Yeah. Cool. cool. Thank All you. All right. Um, ready to jump into some Everett questions? Sure. And this is fast. This is fast. Um, so how have you seen Everett change since you've been here? And it's hard to say because I just switched from the crime beat to the city beat. So I think definitely this conversation about opioids and homelessness is different than what it used to be. I think we're seeing changes in policing, the use of social media, and how I know as a reporter how information flows and what the expectations are for information in the news cycle. And our skyline is changing. The next few years we're looking at a lot of different zoning and different uses downtown that could be really exciting and you know, the waterfront as well. Yeah. Oh, and I did want to say when you asked if this is fast, it's not the, the sixty second okay. game. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I took it as like didn't click oh my until gosh, are we over time already? Is Ricky flexing on us right now like hurry up guys i got news to report um which i would understand um what do you think everett's best kept secret is i think that it's got a lot going on and that i know that's another reason when national media come in it drives me crazy because they always call us gritty mm. <laughs> and that's really not wherever it is anymore and i think if you walk around there's a lot of culture there's a lot of good people and there's a lot of good things happening that you know people on a, at the regional level maybe aren't seen. Do you think Everett is misunderstood? And if so, why? Sometimes I think so, especially when I'm out dealing with folks. Um, but there's two spectrums of that. There's the folks in smaller places and folks in bigger places. But I think what, what I like about Everett is that we're kind of like the same thing with the Herald is that we're kind of the size where we can be a small town and we can be a big city on a different day depending where you are, and that can be pretty fun sometimes. That's cool. In your opinion, what does Everett need, if anything? 
Um, I hear from, now I'm kind of out of that age set, but I do hear from younger people about their nightlife options. Um, I do think we're doing, I like the new coffee shops that are coming and different places to gather. Um, for me personally, I think Everett has to find more ways to house people that um, are more affordable and not everyone can buy a single family home these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And what is your greatest hope for Everett's future? For me, I think it's a really exciting time. I also, part of what I is really exciting that's happening right now is this new conversation about disparities in South Everett. And I think it's been really interesting, especially with this last election cycle of more conversation about what happened south of 41st Street. And there's a lot of really good things that happen there that I'd like to see get more attention. And I am trying to write those stories. Cool. We talk about that a lot too, about you know, ever doesn't end at 41st street and that's an internal thing that we struggle with. Um, yeah. So interesting. Um, all right, let's play a game. Um, this is the fast favorites. This is fast. Um, so Garrett's going to ask you five questions. I'm going to look at the clock and, um, if you answer these questions in less than 60 seconds, you'll get a prize. I probably can't accept the prize. More prizes for us. Oh, we'll see about that. <laughs> All right. Ready? Yes. Where is your favorite place to eat? Um, Taco Book or Cabana Grinds. Favorite place to drink? Probably to get a tea at Hope Works. I really like going to Hope or Cafe Works. Yeah. Nice. Favorite place to watch the sunset? I would say um, maybe Mount Piltrick. Favorite word to describe Everett? Not gritty. Um, <laughs> let me think. We'll say informed. Okay. Hopefully, if you're reading the Herald. Favorite thing to do when you have free time? Um, I spend a lot of time outside, and I read pretty much every night before bed. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that was good. That's under 60 seconds. Um, Did did she win the prize that she cannot take? (laughs) Why can't you take a prize? I'm not allowed to accept gifts when I'm representing the Herald. It's okay. It's not a big oh, deal. All right. Okay. Next week's guest gets two prizes. Yeah. That's yeah. why I always get to coffee meetings early so I can buy my coffee and not deal with the awkwardness of <laughs> oh, I'm some so- very nice, well-meaning person. That wants to buy you coffee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're the opposite. We're just like, we don't do anything unless you give us stuff. You know, that's <laughs> kind of our motto at Living Ever. That's a joke. If anyone's <laughs> listening, that's a total joke. Um, but that's, that's awesome. I'm, I admire the principles. Um, all right. So thank you again ricky before we cut you loose any asks of our audience or places people can connect with you or learn more about what you do definitely and i am very active on twitter and my handle is just my name which is r-i-k-k-i-k-i-n-g and i would just remind folks that we are only you know just a small handful of people at the paper and you have to be our eyes and ears and so often people say well why wasn't this in the paper and well why didn't you tell me and you know the other day someone called to complain that we hadn't written about a charity program at her church and i met with her yesterday so shoot us an email or give us a call and uh where do people email news tips it actually is news tips at heraldnet.com nice um okay well thanks so much for hanging out for the live and Everett podcast we would love to hear from you send us feedback tips or whatever you want drop us a line at podcast at liveandeverett.com and we might read your comments on our next show and quick reminder, every month we award the best in Everett as voted by you in our monthly Evie Awards. So this month we're voting for Everett's best real estate office. It's quick and easy to vote. Just pop over to liveineverett.com slash Evie 
And by the way, did you guys hear who won Everett's best date spot for the January Evies? Did you catch it, Tyler? Uh, no, but I'm curious. It's Blue Water Distilling. It's a pretty good date spot. It is a pretty good date spot. Yeah. I think I might have voted for them. I can't remember, but it's well-deserved. So congrats to Blue Water. Yeah, super congrats to Blue Water. I do, um, I like, don't go there nearly enough, you know? Like, I feel like Lombardi's is kind of my spot down there on the waterfront, but every time I go to Blue Water, I'm like, man, this place is good. Yeah, so. they're solid. All right, so thanks, Ricky, for joining us. It is awesome to have somebody from the Herald here. Uh, like I said, you're like a local celebrity to me. Um, special thanks to Oliver Elf Army for our theme music and to our producer, Henry J., which, by the way, you can catch Henry's radio show, The Stereo Wire, every Friday night at 8.30 p.m. at 90, on 90.7 KSERFM. Um, and remember, good things happen in Everett because of you, so thank you so much for listening and being a part of this wonderful city. Have a great week, everyone. This is why we're Everett till the grave.